Last year in 2019, I hope you'll remember, we were praying for revival. Revival is something that happens to a people who are already alive to God. And what we are praying, what we prayed was that there would be a strengthening, a renewing, a, an empowering by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was already there would be, would be again, revived. This year on Wednesdays, we're going to continue to pray for revival. But each day and every Sunday, we're going to pray for something different. And I want to encourage you to look in your bulletin at the, at the uh, uh, top part on the left side there. We're going to begin to pray for an awakening an awakening. There's a difference, okay? The difference is this. A revival happens inside the church amongst God's people who are already born again. An awakening happens outside the church. It's in a movement of God where those who are dead to God are awakened to the reality of the gospel. It happens as we share the gospel. It happens as we pray for a movement of God and the truth of the gospel begins to move on the hearts of people and they're born again. So we're going to begin to pray for an awakening and we're going to begin to prepare for an awakening. And, and, and by that I mean we're going to spend a lot of time this year focusing on our responsibility to help people, to help people who are far from Jesus to know him. And, and, and we're going to be equipped in that. And, and, and I'm really excited about it. This year's focus is, is 2020 vision. We're inviting the city. Come see what God can do. And, and here's what you and I know who believe. We know that God can take what is dead. He can take what is broken. He can take what is dirty. He can make it clean. He can bring it to life. He can make it whole. That's what the word salvation means. It means to be made whole, to be healed, to be made right. And what we are called by God to share and to live for and to speak to is God's power to make what is broken whole again so that our relationship with God is right, so that we relate rightly to ourselves, which enables us to right, relate rightly to other people, which will heal families, which will heal marriages, which will heal friendships, which will enable those who are at, at odds with one another for there to be peace. This gospel has great power. It has the power to change a nation, a world, a culture, a city. And so we're praying that, that God is going to do that. And in doing that, we're going to begin to talk more and more about the impact that God is calling us to have. Our goal here at Living Hope is to impact every, our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. To impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And so this series that we're starting today, it's a three-parter where we're talking about seeing the need for hope. Here's what you can know about every single person in this planet, every person in your home, every neighbor you have, everyone, everyone who sits near you at class, every, everyone who works near you, everyone who drives in a car near you today. Every human being on this planet is looking for hope. They're looking for something to define them that gives them meaning, that gives them strength, that gives them a reason to get up and get going every day. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people are looking for hope in all the wrong places. They're looking for what the world is selling and the, and the world is only selling something that is temporary. You and I have been made in the image of God. We have eternal souls. We're going to last forever. We need a hope that's gonna last as long as our soul is. 
We need a living hope because we are going to be, and we are immortal beings who are going to be alive forever. So as we, as we think about this year, as we're thinking about what God is doing, here's what we can know. God is looking to bring hope and to bring healing to every heart who will believe. We have a responsibility to share that hope. To, to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Now today, we're going to focus on our homes. We're going to focus on how it is we are to do that. And, and we have a clear command for how to do that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9. Uh, Dane's going to come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Dane comes to read this, this section of scripture. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Dane, read that for us, brother. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk to them when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Dave. If you would, go ahead and be seated. So today I want to talk about how it is we live out this command in the New Testament as disciples of Jesus. I'm going to pray and ask God to help me explain this. Father, this word is so crucial. It has ramifications not only for every person in this room, but those who will come behind them. Would you today let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, and give each one of us eyes that can see and ears that can hear this truth that we might believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Understand that, that first and foremost, God commands us to make disciples, and that needs to happen, and, and where it happens most effectively is in the home. So take note of this. Keep your finger there in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But first I want to give an introduction to this entire series and, and this way of thinking that we need to embrace. Understand the greatest privilege and need of a Christian home is to make disciples. Remember, this is what, what Jesus taught us and, and commanded us. And I, I want to show you, you you've, if you've been around Living Hope, you've heard me quote and, and you've heard this scene many, many times. This is Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Jesus, uh, after, after he'd been raised, before he ascended, he, he came to the disciples and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so in light of the fact that Christ has died for sin, that he's been raised, that he was ascending into heaven and soon returning to judge the living and the dead, he says, now look, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's the first step. Our first step is to help people uh, understand the gospel so that they can understand who Jesus is so they can become followers of Jesus Christ. Once they've believed in Jesus Christ, now look, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the second step. That's not the final step. Baptism is an ordinance. It's a vital ordinance. If you've never been baptized and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're out of step with God and you need to be baptized, not because it makes you a Christian, but because you are a Christian. To be a disciple means that you, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, that he's God. He died for your sin. He's been raised. He's going to return again. 
you are then baptized to announce your identity in Christ. But that's not all we do when we make disciples. Now look at this. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. To make disciples means that we lead people to the Lord. We baptize them. And then we teach them to observe everything that God has commanded us. We cannot, we cannot get short-sighted in this. It's not enough that they know. It's not even enough that they be baptized. Everyone that is looking for hope needs a person with living hope to make them a disciple, to baptize them, and then to teach them so that they can obey and live the life that God died for us to live. You know, when, when, parents, when parents begin their journey, they need to understand and they need, you need to really be thinking long-term. What I mean is this. One of our, one of our grandparents came to me today and, and when we were discussing this, he said, I get this more now than I ever have. And here's what he said. He said, my parents, he said, my parents led me to Christ. And then I led my children to Christ. Now my children are leading their children to Christ. And it's my prayer and expectation that, that my grandchildren are going to lead my great-grandchildren to Christ. Now that's how it happens in a family. That's how it's to happen in all of our life. There's a picture, there's a description of this in 2 Timothy 2.2. I want you to think through this with me. Think through the steps, okay? This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his protege, and he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So notice, he said, Paul said, I've passed to you, Timothy, this gospel so that you can be born again, so that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what I've passed on to you and trust to faithful men. It goes from Paul to Timothy to the next generation of those who will believe. But it doesn't stop there. It trusts a faithful man who will be able to teach others. And then it goes to the next generation. Friends, our culture has taught us to think primarily and only of ourselves. So there are a lot of people, Christians, who, who will say, hey, I know Jesus, I'm good. Well, that's great for you. What about everybody else? Well, isn't that your job? And they usually point to me. <laughs> yes, and then I remind them, and yours, because Matthew 28, 19 through 20 tells us all to go make disciples, all to baptize, all to teach them to observe all things. Please understand, that scripture we just read, that was not for simply ordained clergy. That's for all all God's children. Friends, your faith is not meant to be a cul-de-sac. It's meant to be an avenue. Your faith is meant to come into your life and then through your life to other people. And it's not just meant to go to that next person that you share with, but the person after them and the person after them. This is to continue on and on. This is the picture. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he didn't mean that we just, that we just get one generation. He meant that we get and think through four generations. Let me pause for a moment. Think about your life for just a moment. Who led you to Christ? Who led them to Christ? And who led them to Christ? I know who led the person who led, you know, I, I know kind of a little bit of my line of how I came to faith. What's more important for me at this point is to know who's coming behind me. 
Who have I led that is leading and helping someone else to know Jesus? Friends, that's what we need to be thinking about, especially when we think about our homes. Mom and dad, you need to be thinking about who not only is your child becoming, who are they gonna influence in the next generation? And mom and dad, I, want to t- I, want you, I don't wanna freak you out here. I just want, I just want you to just to be aware of this. The kind of disciple you are is probably the kind of disciple they're gonna be. Have you noticed that your children don't, nearly, don't do nearly as much as you tell them, as much as you show them? They just pick it up. They're looking, they're watching you. And here's what you can know. The kind of disciple you are is probably the kind of disciple they're going to be. One of the families that, that I have such great admiration for is a family that, I mean, I, honestly, I used to judge them a little bit. They, they were people that wouldn't, they wouldn't miss church for anything. They were there all the time. And if that meant you missed a, bit, a, a practice, you missed a practice. You know, these are the kind of people when they went on vacation, when they went on vacation, they still went to church. I thought these people are zealots. Do you know what they were? They were just faithful followers. And you know what? They had it right. Because you know what's happened to their children? It's not that they simply go to church. It's not simply that they, they know the Bible. and how, It's that they are genuine disciples of Jesus. Mom and dad, I, I want to encourage you to be so careful. And I'm, I'm in this boat with you. I've been through it. I'm going through it again. You know, what happens to us is this. As parents, we get on social media and we see a picture of a kid doing something. And now all of a sudden, why isn't our kid doing that? Why isn't my kid the leader of the month? Why isn't my kid on this academic team? Why isn't my kid starting on that team? Why isn't my kid doing this? And parents start freaking out. And they start thinking, I got to get my kid on this. I got to get this. I got to do this. We got to do this. We got to be here. We got to be... And then you're busy doing all this stuff and there's nothing bad typically, usually in that stuff. It's just not best. And so what we inadvertently end up teaching our children is God is good, but baseball and academics and theater and sleep and and other fun things are better. And now you would never say that to your child. I don't think if you did stop saying that, but you typically wouldn't say that to your child. You typically would sit down and say, God is first. God's the best. God's number one. He's first in our home. Unless we're tired, unless money's tight, unless there's a a practice or a ball game or an opportunity for you to really show out so I can get the really good Instagram picture up there. Your kids are not listening. They're watching. And, and we need to show them that God is first. And I know what the world is saying, and I know there's that frantic, oh no, but if they don't, then they're not gonna. Friends, I promise you, when your kids are 50 and they've got kids that may be having kids, what's not, what's not gonna matter is did they start at first base or did they score the most points or did they have the highest AT score? What's gonna matter is did they know and love Jesus? Did they teach their children to know and love Jesus? And are their children's children coming to know Jesus? Friends, right now we gotta teach them while we got them. I was talking to a parent this morning, said, yep, this uh, child, you know, sophomore, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you got 30 months. Start counting them. 30 months. 
Some of you are holding kids. Some of your kids are near you. Just think about how little time you have with that child right now. I don't want anybody crying. I'm just saying, out of happiness or sadness, some of us happy. You only have so much time. They're watching you. What are you doing? They're, they're, they're going to follow you. You're making a disciple of them. What kind of disciple are you making them? I want to encourage you to make disciples who make disciples. Don't just think about what you're doing. Think about what you're influencing them to do. Think about who they're influencing and how. And friends, this is not just for people with family, with kids at home. Listen, every college dorm, every young adult's apartment, every adult's dwelling, we are meant to be a people who are making disciples. The description of the early church, look at this. This is Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 46. It starts in verse 42 in your Bibles, but I just jumped to verse 46 for emphasis. And day by day, look at what happens. Attending the temple together and breaking, all right, I'm gonna start. Attending the temple together. They gathered in large spaces like this to worship. They had large gatherings. There were several thousand of them in that early church. But then they didn't just gather They also got in groups and breaking bread in their homes. They had small groups at home where they had meals, they had prayer, they had conversation, they had accountability. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and look at this, having favor with all the people. They were not going around pointing their finger at people and talking down to people. They were going out and they were showing compassion and kindness and love and making sacrifices to give care. And you know what that won? That won the favor of the people because they thought, you know what? The religious institution just wants from us. These people seem to really care about us. And then look what the result was. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It goes on to say in the next couple of chapters of Acts, that there were 5,000 men along with their families, thousands of people. That, my friends, is what you call an awakening. What we're praying for is an awakening. We're praying that we will be God's people. Friends, never forget we're exiles. This world is not our home. And like the Babylonian exiles, we've been sent to a city for a purpose. Jeremiah 29, 7 tells us what our purpose is. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God has called us to care for this city. And one of the greatest things that we can do to give care is to show people the way to eternal life. Friends, Christians, dear friends, please listen to me very carefully. The the greatest thing that you can do with your life for another person is not to get them to vote with the political party of your choice. It's not to get them to listen to the same news media outlet that you listen to. It's not to get them to look like you It's not to get them to to be in your clique. The greatest thing you could ever do for another human being is to love them with the love of God so that they can know the love of God for themselves. Friends, what are you focusing on? What are you worried about? You know, the, the media just keeps hammering us. Next election, next election. Those people, those... Friends, if you were to ask the average person, I'll just go ahead and do it. Given the latest events in our, in our country, what nation would you say is the greatest threat to our country right now? Say it out loud. 
Iran. Guess where the church is growing the fastest in the world right now? Iran. Our enemy is not our enemy. We are a family of faith. And we need to think like one. And we need to live like this. We need to live thinking. The difference between us and somebody else and the two, the two categories, saved, not saved. Relationship with God, no relationship with God. Friends, this is how we need to help our children Help our children understand, doesn't matter what a person's nationality is. Doesn't matter what socioeconomic background they come from. Doesn't matter what color they are. What matters is do they know Jesus Christ? Do they have his love? Do they have his life? Do they have his freedom? There's nothing more important. There's nothing you can do better for another person for them to know this love and this life. Now that's our responsibility. But I have good news for those who think, I can't do this. This is huge. It's what I, I want, you know, I know some, some of you parents, and I get it. It's like, okay, my child's ready to be saved. I need them to, to go talk to Pastor Jason. I need them to go talk to clergy. Mom and dad, no, they need to talk to you. Some of you have friends at work, friends at school. They need to talk to you. You need to know how to make a disciple of Jesus, to baptize them, to teach them, to observe all things that God has commanded us. Now, the church can help. Now, I'll write that down. The church must help. And the church will help. The church is like the home, the spiritual Home Depot of life, all right? What, what do I mean by that? Here it is. You can do it. The church can help. The church can equip you. That's why we have equip classes. You see that name? Huh? We, we're not that original, all right? We just take it from the Bible and we pass it on. How are we to do it? Ephesians 4.11 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The church is here to equip you to do the work of ministry of making disciples. And that begins first and foremost in your home. With your kids, with the people who are in your home, that's your primary responsibility. The people that are in your life. Now again tonight at 530 I'm going to offer a, a, a crash course in disciple making, the real nuts and bolts of it. And I encourage you to be here at 530. I'm going to give you a, a very simple guide that we use. Um, we're going to provide this throughout our leadership. And, and, and there's going to be a lot of one-on-one -on -one training in this. But tonight, I'm going to give you the overview. And the whole purpose of this is this, that we will make an impact. Impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Now, it begins first in the home. So let's get back to that Deuteronomy passage. And let's understand the goal. Okay, when we're talking about making a disciple, when you're talking about making a disciple at home, so crucial that we understand what, what that looks like. Every home needs to make disciples who, first of all, know Jesus. Know Jesus. Now, look at the passage in Deuteronomy 6. Look what it says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. This is what is called the Shema. The word here is the word in Hebrew is Shema. And, and most Jews, faithful Jews, would, would sing the Shema at least twice a day. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, it was funny, after the last service, we have uh, uh, someone in our congregation that was raised Jewish who's, who's now a disciple of, of Jesus and was able to sing the Shema. And I threatened to record, but they wouldn't let me. Um, so I wanted you to hear it. It's really cool. But this is what devout Jews would do. They, would, they sing this. 
And, and this was so that the knowledge of the truth would be passed on. Now notice what it says there at the end, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When we see that word one, that doesn't mean single, it means unified. It's, it, it's, it's one unit. The Lord is unified. What does that mean? Well, you gotta understand, the God of the Bible is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the way we know God is to know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the only way you and I can know the Father is to know the Son. And the only way we'll know the Son is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in the Bible that um, in previous times, the Lord would, would reveal himself through the prophets. But it says in Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 2, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is God. And what did he do? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he died on the cross for our sins. He's now been raised and now sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We need to understand and we need to know and we need to teach that there is one God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we come to know the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. And the more we know this God, the more we'll love him. So our goal, our goal is not simply that, that, that people will know Jesus, but that they would love Jesus. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. So look what it says in verse five. So here's this God, he is unified. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you, you shall today, look where, where they're gonna be. Shall be on your heart. It's to be an affection. It's not just cognitive. It's, it's emotional. There is a love. There is a desire. To love Jesus is to fulfill our purpose as human beings. St. Augustine said it this way. In this prayer, he said, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Until you know Jesus and love Jesus, you will never be full. See, understand, whatever you love, that's what you're becoming. Whatever you love the most defines you. It drives you. And so you have to be very careful about what you believe you cannot live without. You know, I, you, I hear, you know, kind of, you know, people sometimes be dramatic. If I don't have this, I'm going to die. L let me ask you, how do you fill in this blank? If I lose or don't get blank, I will die. A job, married, a baby, a certain look, a certain number of followers on social media. What are you living for? If I don't get this, then I die. Can I just tell you, if this blank isn't Jesus, you're gonna live a very disappointed life and a very painful eternity. And I say that because You're immortal. If what you love is temporary, you're cursed. You're going to last forever. If what defines you and drives you doesn't last forever, you are cursed. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to continue to exist, but that which you placed your hope in won't. 
the only one that never changes, the only one who lasts forever, the only one who can give you what you're longing for is Jesus Christ. He will love you and define you and care for you all the days of your life. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to, to know. And please understand, this, this knowledge, this knowledge of God, it's not academic. It's not just what we think. Remember, in the Bible, when, we, when it says to know God, the inference here, it's not just the Greek word is gnosis. The word that is used here is epigenosis. It's, it's an exchange of knowledge. To know God is to be known by God. I want you to think about that for a moment. And let me explain why that's so important. If, if you do not know and love God and your life is defined by something else, when you die... You're going to be cursed. Here's why. It says in Matthew 7, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says that the worst thing that can happen is that there, and there's going to be these people who come to him and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we do miracles in your name? And didn't we, didn't we do all this stuff for you? And then Jesus is going to say something horrible. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. The worst thing that can ever happen to you in your life is that God not know you and you not know God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, if he doesn't know you and love you, then you have to, you have to live for something that cannot last. And what hell is, friends, hell is comprised of people longing for someone to define them and love them. In a place where everyone is looking to themselves. Hell is filled with people crying out, someone give me a reason to live, someone care for me, someone show me worth something that's worth value about me. Everyone's screaming the same thing. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. Forever and ever. That is hell. Hell is not being known by God and not knowing God and loving God. To live this way, to die this way is misery. But to know him and to love him is liberating. How do you know him? Friends, you got to give up on you. We talk about the three circles, how you have this knowledge, this, this, this exchange where God knows you, is you give up on your old life. That's what it means to repent. You believe that Jesus is God, that he died for your sin, and you ask him to come alive in you, and you choose to love him the way he's loved you, and you live your life pursuing and recovering God's design living in Christ, Christ living in you, you being defined by him, you seeking to know him and to love him. And when you do that, you begin to pursue and recover God's design, which means the third thing is that you obey him. Understand our goal is to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and look, to obey Jesus. Speaking of these commands, and these words that I command you shall be on your heart, 
And look what it says in verse 7. So you shall teach them diligently to your children. So talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall, shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's he saying here? you got to have this all around you. What are you telling your kids to look at? Are you telling them to look at screens with crazy images of what they'll never live up to? Fill your home, fill their gaze with godliness. Fill their gaze with the good things of what God has said, what good things that God has done. And when they know him and love him, they'll obey him. Understand, our obedience to God reveals our love for God. That's not original with me. That's what Jesus said. Let me give you three quick scriptures, okay? They're all out of John. The first one is John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Real simple. Notice it doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you. No, no, no. If you love me, you'll obey me. Second one, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will be known by God because I love God and he loves me and we have a relationship. I know him and I love him and I obey him because I know him and I love him. Third one, quickly, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. What's Jesus saying? Be like me. Jesus said, I know I love the Father, I abide in him, so I obey him. So you love the Lord Jesus, abide in him, and obey him because you love him. There, there is a danger, and I make a big deal about this, and I cite those scriptures for you because there's a, there's a doctrine that's being taught and readily received that I want you to be familiar with this heretical. It's wrong. It's called free grace. Free grace. Here's what this teaches. This teaches that as long as you say that you know Jesus, it doesn't matter what you love or how you live. All you really need to know is that you know Jesus. And so I hear this a lot. Well, they didn't go to church and, and they never really served God and they never really showed any signs of, of really being a Christian. But there was this one time when they were at this camp or this meeting and they said this prayer. And so they said they know Jesus. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that those who know him love him and those who love him obey him. The Bible, in one, of the, in one of the very short books, refutes this doctrine. In the book of James, in one chapter, actually in, in verses, four verses in connection with one another, teaches that this doctrine is a lie. James 2, beginning in uh, verse 17, says, So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. If your faith doesn't result in love and obedience to Jesus, it's not real. But someone says, but they, they said they know Jesus. I know Jesus. Do you love him? Do you obey him? No, but I know Jesus. Okay, you're like a demon. I don't say that out loud usually, but that's what the Bible says. Look what it says in James 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. Remember what's the Shema? Lord our God, the Lord is one. You believe that? You do well, even the demons believe in shudder. Friends, demons are not Christians. Demons do not know and love and obey Jesus. 
Now, I'll tell you, demons probably know, know a lot more theology than me because they've been around a lot longer. Demons probably know more scripture than I do because they, they've been around a whole lot longer. And you know what? They probably know more facts about Jesus than I know. But they will not enter into eternal glory in heaven. Only those who know and love and obey Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus. And they are, they are gifted eternal life. Again, because they know and they are known. God has received them. God has received and, and forgiven disciples of Jesus Christ. So that because we know him and he knows us and we love him and we abide in his love and we obey him, we have a relationship with him. We're saved. We're made whole. We have purpose that, that, that lasts forever. We are never alone. God has a plan for every problem we face, every luxury we have. God has a reason for it. Friends, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Mom and dad, are you a disciple of Jesus? Grandparents, young adults, singles, married, are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you know him, love him, and obey him? Are you making disciples? Are you sharing the hope that you have, baptizing others, and then teaching them to observe so that they can turn around and teach others? Or are you just a churchgoer? Do you, need, do you need to become a disciple of Jesus? It's so simple. I did this June 28, 1988 in my bedroom. I got it on my knees and I said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me and take over my life. I'm yours. This morning, come get on your knees. If you want to be his, that's all you got to do. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're struggling, maybe it's not, you're not going, look, come get on your knees and say, Lord, help me. Guide me to know you and love you more so that I will obey you. We're praying for awakening. Come pray for awakening. And look, if you need to be healed, if you're sick, if you know someone who's sick, if, you, if there's a broken relationship in you or in someone you care about, look, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Come get on your knees here and ask God to heal, to strengthen, and to restore. God is good. Trust him. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, there is nothing more important we will do with our lives than make disciples. There's nothing more vital that we need to have than the knowledge and the love and obedience in Jesus Christ that reveals and, and enables us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know some here today, they're not yet disciples and they're being defined by something that, that will not suffice. It will not satisfy the, their eternal soul. So as they come today, Lord God, I pray that you'll give them faith to believe and that they'll get on their knees and receive your life. For some who need to be strengthened in their walk, God, hear them as they come and ask you to protect them and to provide for them, to guide them and to use them. Lord, for those who need to see healing, for those who need to see restoration, hear them as they come to ask you for it. And God, as a church families, we pray for an awakening. Lord God, do this for your glory. Friends, come and pray. Come and pray for God to do it.